0: a new one for you.
1: Welcome to Scum of the Earth um, I have some announcements for you, first of all the Scoop at Scum is always the staple announcement, go there for information regarding the church it's cool um, and an announcement regarding a fresh baby named Isabel Hope born to EJ and Jen Branch on Friday, which was August 12th happy baby day or whatever to them Um, also, yeah, the baby was seven pounds, 15 ounces. I don't know if that's good or bad or average or whatever, but yay, baby. Um, yeah. So also we have very few other announcements. If Kim Melnichenko wants to give an announcement, there she is. Hi, I'm Kim and I'm part of the art collective that we have going at Scum of the Earth called Metal. Um, We have a meeting and all of you, I emailed you who are already in the group, but I don't know if you got it. So that's why I'm making this announcement. Please be there tomorrow. If you can't, please see me after near the Scubit Scum. If you're interested, also come meet me at Scoob Scum. Thanks a lot. Wonderful. Um, And we have one more announcement regarding something. So if you want to give that... Oh wait, and pre her announcement, I forgot my visual aid, it was a can of fruit, but we're supposed to be collecting um, canned fruit for Socks Place, so I think all month, bring canned fruit to Scum, and it'll be collected at the Scoop at Scum over there. So if you could do that, that'd be sweet. Bink?
0: Hi. Um, uh, we've already discussed this with some of you, but Scum of the Earth is starting up a comic book club, and uh, it's going to be called Army of Dorkness. <laughs> and um, we're going to have our first meeting uh, this coming Friday, Friday night at 7 p.m. at Chauncey Hutton's apartment. That's in Capitol Hill. So that is just a preliminary meeting. We're all going to get together and kind of discuss what format if any we want to follow what night would be best for everyone etc cetera, etc cetera. so if you want to be part of the uh, nerd collective um, you can come and sign up at the scoop at scum and we'll be contacting you this week to give you more details okay thanks why don't you guys all stand up and talk to someone you don't know And that's my mom she can tell you how much i weighed when i was born The red shirt. How much did I weigh? (laughs) (laughs) Were you little or were you big? Seven, Seven one? Well,
2: this week has been a uh, very very full one for me. I think I told you last week that uh, Mary's and my daughter got married and uh, after that came the hoopla because all of my wife's family stayed in town for about four days. Of course, then my wife and I were tour guides. You know how that works. If you live in Colorado, People always come to visit, and they're on vacation. They expect you to be on vacation too. Did you guys ever? You have you got that yet? Okay, it will happen if it hasn't happened to you already. Well, after the uh, Francell family left, then the Stairs family reunion, who was you know a large part of who were here last week, they stayed until Wednesday, which was great. And then Wednesday my dad let me know that he wasn't leaving on Wednesday, he was staying till Saturday, which was good because I don't get a lot of time one-on-one with my dad since he lives in Florida, but he's 76 years old and I thought, you know, I need to take advantage of every opportunity I can, Uh, which put me in a quandary because writing a sermon is a very introverted task. And it's hard to spend time with your dad and your brothers when you're writing a sermon. So I was uh, kind of going through this struggle at preaching team on Thursday, and uh, my good friend Steve Garcia, pastor of Celebration Community Church over in Glendale, said, "Hey, Mike, why don't you let me preach for you and then you can spend time with your dad?" I said, "Really, you do that, you're on sabbatical." He said, sure, I'd do it. So I said, great. We went over the passage then together. It was actually pretty exciting. We had a little Bible study there, a little homiletic Bible study like we normally do for preaching team. And so it is my distinct pleasure to introduce to you uh, one of my very, 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 very best friends, uh, a man who I have worked with now for 11 years off and on, a guy who um, looks way younger than he is ticks me off, by the way, Steve, a guy who has more energy than any three other Mexicans I know, (laughs) Pastor Steve Garcia, come on up.
3: So let's see, Mexicans don't have much energy, they have lots of energy, What I don't know. It's all good. How is everybody tonight? It's cool. I have something to play with up here. Well, it's a joy for me to be with you tonight. Um, I love you all, I don't know you all, but uh, I've... I've known you actually longer than you realize. Oh, okay. Okay. Mike Mike and I were uh, on staff together before each of us landed where we are. So I've known you before you were scum of the earth. I knew you when you were mold of the earth. I knew you back when you were just a gleam in your pastor's eye. And it's a joy to be with, be with you tonight. Uh, let me tell you, start with a little bit of uh, kind of cinematic history. In 1968, um, the movie version of the story Camelot uh, won three Oscars and three Golden Globe Awards. And uh, starring Richard Harris and Vanessa Redgrave, um, it brought the ancient story and legend of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table to a whole new generation. It was uh, profoundly uh, enjoyed and received. A synopsis of the story, for those of you who might not be so familiar with it, was the wizard Merlin taught King Arthur, and King Arthur established a near-perfect kingdom called Camelot. And that's where the best knights in the world gathered around what was called the Round Table. And Those are the Knights of the Round Table. And uh, King Arthur found a beautiful, loving wife, Guinevere, and then along came a French knight, Sir Lancelot, and Lancelot became King Arthur's right-hand man, uh, closest confidant, and uh, his wife's lover. And... uh, Guinevere loved uh, King Arthur, but uh, the love between uh, herself and uh, Lancelot could not be denied, and Camelot could not last. Mordred, the king's treacherous, illegitimate son, caught on to what was going on between Lancelot and Guinevere, and he made sure that everything that Arthur had worked to do would be undone. And there's some classic lines in the, in the movie, some that you might not like as much as others. For example, half of you won't like this one, where King Arthur says, don't let it be forgot. Excuse me, he says, Merlin once told me, never to be too disturbed if you don't understand what a woman is thinking, because they don't do it very often. <laughs> you laugh at that? I think that's disgusting. I'm offended, deeply offended. Guinevere talks about this, uh, this uh, scoundrel, Mordred, uh, to the king and says, must we talk about Mordred? This is the first time in a month that he's not come to dinner and not having him makes it seem like a party. Have you ever had any friends like that? It's just like a rock in your shoe. It's just nice when they're not there. No other cause for celebration needed. At one point, Lancelot says to Guinevere, Jenny, I love you. God forgive me, but I do. And Guinevere says, Then God forgive us both, Lance. God forgive us both. And then the final, or the the famous uh, climactic line, King Arthur says at the very end, as his kingdom is unraveled, Don't let it be forgot that once there was a spot for one brief shining moment that was known as Camelot. Camelot. Camelot represents dreams dreamed and paradise lost. It illustrates the glory and also the dark side, the shadowy side of the human condition. And it depicts change. And that's what I'd like to talk with you about tonight, the the subject of change and how to deal with it. I want to talk to you about change and, and how it feels as it's happening Change in your life, change in your situation. I want to talk to you about what it reveals in us when it happens to us. And finally, how God can heal in the midst of unwanted change. To do all that, I'd like to ask you to turn your attention, if you would, to the book of Genesis in chapter 13. I think the scripture is going to appear behind me, sure enough. And I will read uh, Genesis chapter thirteen to you. It says, "So Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very, Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier." And where he had first built an altar, there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot, the Canaanites and parasites were also living in the land at that time so abram said to lot let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine for we are brothers is not the whole land before you let's part company if you go to the left i'll go to the right if you go to the right i'll go to the left lot looked up and saw the whole plain of the jordan was well watered like the garden Of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly. Against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after the lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south and east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. I love change. I love it. I get bored really easily. And routine and regimen feels like monotony to me so if i can i never drive home the same way twice in a row i just find some other nooky direction to take and explore it all because in life there are marchers and there are dancers and i'm not a very good marcher i'm not very good at staying just on task i like change How many of you would say, if you had to be just kind of self-analyzing for the moment, would say, you know what? I love change. I think I might be a dancer. Raise your hand. I would expect a lot of those in this church. How many of you would say, you know, truth be told, I'm a marcher. I have a goal, and I go after it and like to stay on task. How many? Anyone here like that? Very good. And there are all sorts of other ways of looking at it, but uh, it's good to kind of know how you you know, how you're wired, I'd like to start off by just observing for you something about change, and I want to th- ask you to think about how it feels, how it feels. And what I want to suggest to you is sometimes change feels great. Sometimes change is welcome, right? You look forward to it. How many of you remember moving, like, say, from middle school to high school and really looking forward to it? No one? You hated it? (laughs) Okay, let's see. Uh, How about from not being able to drive to being able to drive? That was cool. How about from living with mom and dad to not living with mom and dad? Hey, now I'm picking up some travelers. You know, when you have an opportunity and it's something you want... Then change is welcome and change feels good, right? When you're applying for something, whether it be a new or a, jo- a new job or, or your first job, when you're applying for a school or a program or you're trying to, to make a team or something like that, then changing from not being part of that to being part of that is very, very cool. And part of the reason that that's so nice is because you had something to do with it, you decided you wanted it. You went after it, you got it, and it happened. That's one of the parts of change that, you know, determines whether or not it's going to be enjoyable or not. Are you in control of it at all, or is it happening to you? Abraham was experiencing an upgrade. Abram, I should say, was moving up. He was leaving the troublesome situation in Egypt, and it says... Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife, Kaching, and everything he had, and Lot, so he had relationship. He had companionship. He was not all alone. He had closeness, and that was good. And everything he had was a lot, because it says in verse 2, Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock, in silver, and gold. So sometimes... Moving is moving up and and you move from sort of the the outhouse to the white house. It's an upgrade and you like it. Sometimes uh, change is welcome and it feels great. Sometimes, of course, it's not so welcome. Sometimes it's not what you're choosing. It's not what you want. Notice in the verses that follow verse three and following. uh, Excuse me, verse five. Now Lot was moving about with Abram also, had flocks and herds, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for the possessions were so great and they were not able to stay together. So, the, sometimes what forces change is economics, right? You can't afford to do what you've been doing or to do what you want to do. So, you've got to move back home. Not as fun because you're a grown-up now, and they don't treat you like a grown-up. They treat you like they always did. It's a well-worn path, and you can't kind of shake that childhood role that you played in the family, and here you are, and you like being with your kind of adult friends, your grown-up friends, your peers, and you go back home, and that's not so welcome. Economics can force unwelcome change. And so can conflict. It says, they were not able to stay together, verse 7, and quarreling arose am- between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. And there were Parasites and Canaanites in the land at that time. So now here is relational conflict. How many of you love conflict? You do? That concerns me. Most of us don't. But it's good if you don't shy away from it, you know, because one thing I've learned about conflict, and I'm no lover of it, is ignoring it does not make it go away, right? It usually sort of festers and grows, gains steam, builds momentum, and pretty soon it becomes something that's just so obvious and unavoidable. We call it the elephant in the room. You know what I'm saying? And everybody, you know, some of you, how many of you are dating somebody, seriously involved with somebody, or married to somebody? Raise your hand. Okay, bunch of you. Sometimes, have you ever felt you've gone into somebody's house and the air is so thick you can, like, cut it with a knife? There are what we call issues. <laughs> and you know it, and your girlfriend or boyfriend knows it, and probably everybody in the room and in the family knows it, but nobody can touch it. So it's like this big old hairy, smelly, stinky elephant sitting there, some 5,000 pound pachyderm in the middle of the living room, and everybody's just talking around it. So, how is your coffee? My coffee's fine. How's your tea? My tea's fine. And you're just kind of talking around these issues, but they're not going to go away. So it's good to deal with conflict, but usually it's stressful. And, and Abram and Lot are dealing with some conflict now. You know why? There's just not enough good grazing land for all of their herds. They're so both so prosperous, so blessed. In this case, success leads to more problems. There's not enough land. And that's just the way it is when there's not enough money or not enough something. Sometimes change feels great. Sometimes it feels... Bad. Abraham or Abram moves up. Lot finally has to move on, and that's the way it is with family breakups, with relationship breakups, with friendships that break up. I've had some friendships go sour in this past year, and it really sucks, really bad. You can never quite get enough closure because the more you talk, sort of the gnarlier it gets. You know what I'm saying? And you don't know when you're going to see that person next, but you know when you see them, it's going to be awkward. Sometimes change feels great, sometimes it feels horrible, and sometimes it feels mixed. Sort of like when your friend gets engaged. Oh, I'm so happy for you. And I really am happy for you. You really are happy for her but it's going to be a loss, right? The friendship you've known, you've seen it coming. You've already not been seeing as much of her or him or whoever. But the more serious it gets, and now it's engagement, and it's like, you know what? It's the end of Camelot. We had this little round table thing going on. You know, we hung out. And I didn't have to worry that I wasn't seeing anybody or et cetera because I had this... Nights of the round table thing, and we hung out at the coffee shop, or we hung out wherever, and it was cool, and now so-and-so has left that, now you're leaving that, and I'm starting to feel the loss, and it's not that I'm not happy for you, it's just a loss, sometimes change feels mixed. Point two, sometimes, or I should not say, sometimes it feels good or bad, but change always reveals. I want to talk to you about what change reveals. Change reveals what you and I are made out of. It reveals what our true heart is, what our character is. Henry Blackaby, in his uh, book Experiencing God, says that in some mysterious or other way, God will speak to you and He'll bring about changes in your life that could cr- produce crisis, what He calls a crisis of belief. And how you respond to that crisis of belief reveals what you truly believe, no matter what you say. What you say you believe, what I claim to believe, what's in my statement of faith, is not necessarily the the same as how I actually feel and what I actually believe. And so you can have doctrinal beliefs and operational beliefs. And operational beliefs are what you and I are really all about. And so the question becomes, can I rejoice with you in your success? Can I rejoice with you in what you're gaining, even if it's somewhat my loss? It's a test of my character. And I'm here to say I succeed um, and fail probably about the same myself. Sometimes it's hard because I'm so self-centered and I'm so oriented to how what your situation does to me and how it affects me. That's human nature, and it's uh, unfortunate because it keeps me from being able to rejoice with you when you rejoice. Have you ever had somebody have bad news and you find yourself happy? I mean, that's really wicked. Isn't that ugly when you think about it? You're rejoicing when they weep? Man, that's devilish. But it's common to man. What it reveals is what I'm all about. And... Abraham, Abram's family conflict reveals his true character. And notice what Abram's able to do. It's pretty incredible. He, he goes into this conflict situation in verse 8. He says, let's not have any quarreling. I, mean, I don't want to be fighting with you. Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your people and my people, your, you know, your herdsmen and mine, because we are brothers. It reminds me of what Paul says later when Christians are suing one another. He says, you know what? Why don't you rather be wronged? Why don't you just be wronged instead of getting into that kind of thing? And in verse 9, Abram says, is not the whole land before you? Let's part company, but let's part company as friends. And this this is how I'm going to work this. I'm going to let you choose what land you want. And I'll just take the other, which is pretty awesome. I like the idea when there are chores to be done, like some task to be done, there's a bunch to be done. I like the idea of being able to say, hey, okay, look, what part of it do you want to do? You want to do the living room? I'll do the kitchen. You want to do the kitchen? I'll do the living room. I like the idea of it. I rarely ever do that. But I do like the idea. Techn- theoretically speaking, I think it's you know, worth considering. Some of you ought to try it out. Tell me how it works. <laughs> he says, let's park company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. My left my right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. That's pretty cool. change revealed Abram's character. You know what it revealed? His trust in God because he remembered the promise from chapter 12 where God said to him, I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to give you a land. So I think in the back of his mind, Abram said, you know, I'm good. The Lord's going to take care of me. I don't know that Lot was thinking that way and this is not a moralistic passage. Lot is not really outed as being the idiot that he appears to me to be. Peter calls him righteous Lot I think he's a dork. But it just goes to show how much I know. Lot looks around and says, man, the Jordan's looking nice. It looks like the garden of the Lord. It's so well watered. I'll take that. Instead of negotiating, well, Abram, you know, and this is the way it would have been done back then. What would you like? No, what would you like? They ping pong back and forth, and they think, you know... Abram had seniority. Lot was his nephew. Abram defers to his younger nephew, and his younger nephew says, great, I'll take it, and takes the best land. Now, it's near wicked people. It's near Sodom. Um, But Lot didn't seem to worry too much about the fact that uh, bad company can corrupt good morals. And later on, righteous Lot When the men are coming to try to take the angel from his home to rape the angelic visitor, what does righteous Lot do? He says, here are my two daughters. They're virgins. Do with them what you want. See, Lot's character is going to be exposed soon enough. Change always reveals what's really about me. Here's one thing I want to say about this. I just want you to think about this. I was reading somewhere... And somebody was writing sort of an advice column. It was a Christian kind of a thing. And this person was discussing her, you know, gnarly husband or what an idiot he was. And her question was, why does the Lord, you know, lead opposites to attract? How did the Lord get me into this mess? Is what I heard her sort of saying. I'm thinking, the Lord? I don't know about you, but when I see two people sort of gravitate to each other, I'm not seeing the Lord do anything. I just see two people who like each other, right? Why does the Lord get the blame when it goes sour? Somebody help me. I I, I swear this is true. Somebody, uh, a friend, years ago, um, got his girlfriend pregnant and uh, she had his baby. She was; They were both like 19-ish. And he was now responsible for you know, this baby. Financially, he did not want to marry her, did not choose to marry her. She did not want to marry him. I don't know what she wanted, but I know he didn't really want to marry her. And as he thought about it and talked about his situation, he said, yeah, life dealt me a raw deal. Life? Honestly, did life unzip your pants? (laughs) Uh, Is it me or is it him? It's him, right? I can turn that back on myself and you can turn that on yourself because you, you know the truth of Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3. Proverbs 19, verse 3 says, A man's own folly... Ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. And my own selfishness, my own foolishness, my own amnesia about what I've learned from God, my own lack of integrity, my impulsiveness, my addictive tendencies can ruin my life, and then I sit back and say, life dealt me a raw deal. What I do want to say is that when change comes your way, you're going to react to it. You're going to respond to it. And how you react and how you respond reveals everything. That's how change feels, and it's what it reveals. And now I just want to say a word about how God heals. I'm sorry, it rhymes, and it's really cheesy, but it just kind of came to me, and there it was. To kind of go into that, I, I want to tell a couple of stories. And Mike asked me to do this, and I just, okay, you know, he's the man. Uh, he said, Steve, you've got to tell him your, your personal story. You've got to tell him your, you know, your, I said, you mean my family story? He goes, yeah, I got to tell my family story. I'm not an expert in a heck of a whole lot. You know, um, I went to seminary. I went to Bible college and seminary. Um, you know, the, really the only Greek I know is Mike. I mean, I... <laughs> if I could write a book, and if I was experienced enough to maybe be something of an authority, it would probably be on family tragedy. It would be on death. Because, and this is their real short version of this, I mean, just because, mostly because of time, but I was 14 years old when I experienced death for the first time, 14. You know, I know a a 65-year-old who's never experienced death until recently. I'm thinking, dude, where have you been? But it's not something that anybody chooses. It's nothing to brag about. It's just the cards you are dealt. And in my case, I was 14 years old when my older sister, who was 22, had a massive uh, cardiac arrest and died and rocked my 14-year-old world. Fast forward now. And it's 1986. uh, And um, I just moved to Denver to go to seminary. 1986, and uh, my phone rings. Now, pretty soon you're going to understand that when the phone rings and it's my family, you just don't want to answer it sometimes because frequently it's, it's going to be earth-shaking. And here was my mom on the phone, and she said, Stephen, are you sitting down? I said, no. She says, your brother took his life. I'm going, what? Your brother Carlos killed himself. Nothing in seminary had prepared me for that. <laughs> what do you do with that? What do you put that in your theological thing? I put down the phone. This is in the seminary apartments right here at Denver Seminary, um, the old seminary that's going down now. And um, I screamed and I yelled. I was home alone. And I pounded the walls. It was, a, it was a scene right out of the first Rocky where he's just screaming. It was, the, it was out of the Princess Bride. It was the sound of ultimate suffering. And my next-door neighbor's student guy came to my door and said, Steve, what is wrong? And I told him. and I went home that night. Um, I remember on the plane that night um, feeling in my heart and saying to myself, right now, as of right now, I am a grown-up. And I think in some ways that's the difference between childhood and adulthood. Even adolescence and adulthood is how much you go through. How much unwanted change you go through. You don't choose it. Sometimes it just happens. And I drove home, and I flew home, and I was thinking, I- I'm not the Messiah of this. I'm in seminary, but I have no answers for all this. I just want to go home and be with my family. And my, my mom had already lost, as I said, my older sister, and I'm thinking, how is she going to deal with this? The, the third loss that I mentioned, and I'm going to go back to the second one in a second, but was um, just a well, it just feels like a couple years ago now, it was 1991, here I am, I'm, a, I'm 30 years old, I'm about to become a father for the very first time, uh, in wedlock, fortunately, and uh, I get a phone call that my, my father has died. But you have to understand, in my family, nobody dies of natural causes. Um, my father was murdered. He was shot with a gun to the head. It was It was a, a hit job is what it was. Um, I said in my family, nobody dies of natural causes, but my family's from l a and their murder it's natural causes. I mean, so maybe you know you can say that they do. When I flew home in in that second loss and I, I arrived home, I remember thinking, how is my mom going to deal with this and um I'll never forget walking into that house and it was teeming with crying people, and I walked into that house and there was my mom sitting on a chair and and I'm not sure if if I imagined it, I'm not sure if it was a dream, if it was sort of revisionist history, I'm not sure if it was the lighting in the room, but it seemed to me that I saw the Shekinah glory of God around her little rocking chair. That's what it seemed like. That's what my memory, you know, uh, remembers. And, uh, and I experienced then the uh, inexplicable power of God to comfort the bereaved, the destroyed, the uh, afflicted. And my mom, who had only become a Christian, you know, really in the aftermath, we all became Christians in the aftermath of my sister's death so many years ago, and Here was put to the test. And, you know, she just demonstrated to me in that moment and really ever since the most incredible awareness of the presence of God that one could ever hope to see. I I could not have talked anybody into that. I needed to be talked into that. But I saw it and I experienced it. And in that moment and in that time, I learned the reality of God because nothing that's pure human invention and moralism can create that sort of profound peace in the midst of such devastating loss. And believe me, I've gone back there. I've held on to that. I I experienced it. I saw it. I even felt it. Some of it sort of seemed to rub off on me and I just, oh. I could talk about others, but let me just say this. The beauty of unwanted change, affliction, when when God does his thing and somehow we submit to it, yield to it, surrender to it, the beauty is it so profoundly changes you and me. And listen, after you've lost such priceless people in your life, after you've suffered such great losses, really what can anybody take from you? And I'm a father now. I have three children. And from the moment they were born and they came into my little home, I knew I was on borrowed time. I knew that every single day was and is a gift. I'm guaranteed nothing. I am not guaranteed that I will outlive my children or that they will live to a ripe old age or have all of the things that you hope that your children will grow up to have. Every one of them a gift, and I've cried myself to sort of sleep sometimes. I've sort of laid there and thought, what a, what a joy it is to have what I have now. Why do I know that? Because change changed me. I'm not here to tell you that any of the losses I've experienced were good losses. They were horrible. I wouldn't wish them on anybody. I'm not proud of it. I'm not happy about it. I hope I've gotten my share in and now I'm going to coast. But I'm not guaranteed that. Well, I want to wrap up here and uh, and just point out to you uh, this third point about how God heals. Part of what I want to say about how God heals is I don't know how he heals. I have no formula for that. I can't offer you a principle or an insight or a scripture or anything that's going to make your pain in the midst of unwanted change go away. I don't know. But I do know he can heal. He can choose whatever vehicle for that he wants to. And I do know that in this passage, when it was all over, and Abraham lost Lot as his companion and, and they split up, it says, The Lord appeared to him and said, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look to the north, the south, the east, and the west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could dust the earth, then your offspring could be counted. If anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. The one, I guess... Suggestion I'd make to you in a time of unwanted change is to revisit the promises of God because that's what God did for Abram. He says, let me remind you of what I promised and I want you to hold on to it because you haven't seen anything yet. I'm going to redeem this. I'm going to make this into something incredible and powerful and beautiful, which I have to say... Um, I would not be who I am if it weren't for the losses I have. I don't think about it every day. I try not to. I don't really need to try. I'm busy. But I'm really, 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 really a happy guy. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fun guy or fungus or something. Because really, I've learned after horrible how good, pretty good can be. I don't expect perfection. I'm not expecting God to give me all this perfection. I'm just asking him not to give me affliction. And when he doesn't, I'm sweet. I'm feeling great. Every day I'm just, great, hey, no phone calls from California, I'm good. Just gonna ask you to bow your head. I'm just gonna close with you for a moment and invite Mike up and just read some promises from God's word that you might be able to hold on to in a time of change in your own life. The Lord said to Joshua, be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And to Isaiah, the Lord said in chapter 41 and verse 10, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jeremiah said, Sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak, I'm only a child. But the Lord said, Do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city and an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, priests, and people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you. And will rescue you, declares the Lord. And finally, we are told in the book of Hebrews. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. May God give you the grace that you need in any time of change you may be in tonight.
2: I'm going to ask for... Your permission to uh, speak candidly, if you would allow me to. Um, change is very difficult for me. Uh, I think uh, it might stem back to a tragedy in my own life, um, the loss of my mom when I was a kid, but I know I have a hard time dealing with people leaving. And um over the years it's been very difficult uh as you begin to form this community of, of faith, this thing called Scum of the Earth Church, and then faces start to change, and you know, people who once were a regular a part of what you did every week are now for some reason gone. Um I remember uh one of our founders, really, um, a girl named Hannah Clausen, when she left for college, it was, it was real tough for me because Hannah kind of took care of a lot of things at SCUM that other people didn't want to take care of. And, uh, you know, she was just a joy to have around. I think um, Reese's departure from being my co-pastor, uh, in the words of Eric Bain, really shook me up. <laughs> So that was pretty obvious. And others who had come around, obviously, um, who are no longer around. Uh, Miriam's departure to go to school in Scotland has been difficult as well because, I mean, let's face it, you really can't replace someone like Miriam Kamel. And Eric Bain's departure, uh, you know, as sudden as it was, it was kind of like ripping the Band-Aid off real quick, but still it hurts, you know. Um, I'm really glad for him. I'm glad for Mary. I'm glad for everybody who has gone on to whatever God has prepared for them. But meanwhile, uh, I'm left kind of just being sad. And, and I don't know if you feel that way, but if you do, then you're not alone. And I have yet another um, leaving to announce tonight. Uh, on the one hand, I'm really happy about this. I can see God doing all sorts of great things. On the other hand, it's, it's real sad for me. But um, Deva and Brian Yoder will be going back to Ohio while Brian will work with his dad uh, in a business that his dad has, and then they're going to start a business on their own. So um, Deva, Brian, why don't you come on up here? Where are you? There you are. Anyway. So this message comes in a very timely fashion to, to me because things are very difficult when they change. And uh, I didn't plan it. Genesis 12 was next on the agenda, okay? It's one of those serendipitous kind of happenings. And um, so I just thought I'd uh, have... Uh, Dave and Brian come and talk to you guys for a minute and tell you what's going on in their lives. So, here you are.
4: Okay, I didn't know I was doing this, but um, <clears throat> yeah, it's hard. We're we're going to be leaving in, at the end of September. And uh, I don't know, Dave and I have kind of been feeling for a while that we've there's some change coming in our life and we couldn't really put our finger on it. But uh, um, just after some praying and just kind of seeing what's going on uh, back home, and just a restlessness in our hearts um, that we couldn't put our finger on. But we just, after much praying and discussing, we um, decided this was the best thing for us right now. It's not easy, um, especially for David with her family here, and, and with Scum, and you guys are a part of our family too. So it's really not an easy thing. I mean, it's definitely one of those changes that has a, is a mixed feeling because we're. Excited for change, but um, it also sucks to leave our friends and our families. So, um, I guess that's all I, I have to say there. I mean, there's could be more to say, but uh, yeah, just uh, we'll miss you guys, but we'll be around for another two months. So, yeah.
0: It is very hard for me. Um to leave this church, because I love it, and I helped start it, and there's a lot of depth here for me, and Mike, it's been amazing <laughs> in my life, and it's um, made me a different person than when I first met him, and I love him like I love my own dad, so, <sighs> but I love my husband even more. And I honor him, and I need to support him, and I hope God will honor that.
2: Oh, I know he will. I have all sorts of pastoral insight why this is actually a really good move for Deva, at least for the time being. I'm not ruling out the future, Brian, to say know. Anyway, um, that was supposed to be funny. Come on. Anyway, David's going to be around for like two more months, uh, so we're going to see a lot of her. You're going to hear a lot of her, and uh, she's going to be singing uh, leading Worship twice more, and then we'll have a big farewell deal, uh, just like we did for Eric and for Miriam. That's and that's scary, <laughs> but it will be there. Yeah. So we'll do all that. But um, yeah, so I don't know how else to say this than just to say it, okay? So... It's part of what's going on. The uh, We got together. We had a leadership meeting uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and uh, all this kind of stuff came out. And, and it was interesting what happened at the end of the leadership meeting. Uh, as people began to pray, I mean, there was almost a, a note of expectancy. Okay, God's doing something here. You know, he's moving people out, and he's moving new people in. We don't know what's going to happen, but we're excited. And it kind of is like this. In verse 14 of Genesis 13, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are. I think that's a good, good word for all of us. Just lift up your eyes from where you are. Look north, look south, look east, look west, and let's just see what God's going to do. I believe that God is on the move and he's doing things. He's scattering people like seeds in the wind and the kingdom is going to grow and flourish. And these people were gifts and they were, remain gifts, but they're not gifts we hold on to. They're gifts we kind of hold with an open hand. When God gives us something, you, just, you, you put the gift in the hand and you don't close your hand. Because when God says, no, no, Mike, let go of that. I want to take this and give this to somebody else. You're going, no, it's mine. You can't have it. My precious. Yes. So, you know, you've got to have an open hand when we receive gifts from God. And and, and Reese and and, uh, Eric and Miriam and Deva and Hannah and on and on and on and on are all gifts from God. We just hold with an open hand. And uh, we accept the change. The change will reveal our character. It might feel real lousy, but it's going to reveal our character... And uh, in the end, God will heal us, and he'll bring his promises to past. And so that's it. Just wanted to say that's what's going on. Thought you needed to know. So I'm going to invite the rest of the worship team to come up here and Deva, and um, we'll, uh, we'll finish up the night.
5: I see the
6: stars.
5: I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How. Great thou art then say- sent him to die I scarce can take it in that on the cross my birth I shall come with shouts of acclamation and bring me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I will bow in humble adoration and there proclaim. My God, how great Thou art! Then sing, my.
0: for the last song.